The following Dharma talk was given by Jody Hojin Kimmel at the Zen Center of New York City. Hojin Sensei is the abbot of the Zen Center and head priest at Zen Mountain Monastery. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org slash zcnyc. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everyone. I'm so happy to see so many people here today. Thank you, and uh, welcome to those of you who are here for the first time. Well, I was going to talk about perfection today. In the tradition, Buddha said we're perfect and complete, lacking nothing. But I think my own perfectionism prevented that from developing. So I switched to something else. And I'd like to start with part of, a, of the poem of Naomi Shihab Nye um, called Kindness. Before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake up with sorrow. You must speak it to it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. Then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore. Only kindness that ties your shoes and sends you out into the day to gaze at bread. Only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say, it is I you have been looking for, and then goes with you everywhere like a shadow or a friend. You can uh, check the rest of the poem, but I just wanted to bring that part in because I wanted to look at a line specifically in one of our chants, um, the four immeasurables, um, which is sympathetic joy. Um, May all beings live in sympathetic joy, rejoicing in the happiness of others. Um, it's, it's called Mudita in its Pali name. Uh, just kind of look at how experiencing joy and, our, in, and delight in ourselves, in our own way of being, helps us to wish the same for others. And I find this to be the most challenging of the immeasurables. I'll tell you all of them. But to, for some reason, and I think for many of us, wishing joy for others, happiness. So the Buddha taught, these are called the Brahma-viharas. They're also called the four immeasurables. That's the name we use. Divine abodes, the four abodes of love, the four boundless minds. And these um, immeasurables are natural qualities within our own heart and mind. They're natural qualities. We may not say, like, really, because they're buried. <laughs> and we have to cultivate them. So there's this, there's this maturation that needs to happen. And once we touch it, it begins to grow, 
because the seeds are, are in our heart and mind. It's just we've gotten a lot of sorrow and bad knocks, and it gets hardened, right? So these four boundless qualities are loving kindness. Sometimes you might know it as metta. So we have this. We have this quality. Compassion, karuna. We are compassionate beings. That's seeds in our heart and mind, no matter who we are. Sympathetic joy. That's what I'm talking about. And equanimity, mudita and upekka. And the Dalai Lama speaks of these Brahma Viharas as our spiritual birthright. And I, and I also remember Daito Roshi speaking of um, art practice, the creative potential within us as also being our birthright, that we are each an artist, a creative being of our life, because this is all, all of life is a creative process. And the question is, what? What are we creating moment to moment? And that's the awareness we're developing. And so the, um, they are truly who we are, and we just need to carefully tend, like a garden, water, and cultivate them, give them the space so these things can mature in us. I think it was Alan Wallace who said, or somebody said, we're in a maturation revolution, that this is, this is the revolution now. Look around. Are we seeing maturity? It is a revolution to be mature. You know, Trumpa Rinpoche used to say, there's very few adults work walking around on the planet. Sharon Salzberg, I'll bring in some other teachers. She said the root of the Pali word mudita is, means to be pleased, to have a sense of gladness. The Buddha called mudita the mind deliverance of gladness because this force of happiness actually liberates us. Unlike a state of mere excitement or giddiness, the quality of sympathetic joy challenges our deep assumptions about aloneness, loss, Sympathetic joy challenges loss and happiness and shows us another possibility. It defeats many of the qualities of consciousness that bind us. She says, so much of our unhappy condition as living beings comes from the constricting effect of our negativity toward each other. We limit ourselves. We limit others. We judge each other, compare ourselves to each other, to ourselves even, <laughs> demean and envy each other. And we ourselves suffer the strangling effects of thinking that way, of those beliefs, of these limitations, because there are so many constricting mind states that are impediments to medita. Sympathetic joy is considered the most difficult of the Brahma Viharas to develop. I was kind of glad to hear that because I felt that. (laughs) But so potent is this quality that expressing it can defeat the aversion and attachment that bind us. So sometimes we do have to fabricate it and just say it 
May all beings live in sympathy. May I live in sympathetic joy, rejoicing in the happiness of myself, of others. So why might it be an immeasurable? Why are these immeasurables? So maybe it's because there's, there is no limit to how far we can take them, how, how vast and immeasurable we can be, how much loving kindness we can have, how much compassion, how much joy, how much equanimity, limitless, that we can cultivate, letting that wisdom part of our being come alive. Maybe too, because the number of beings to whom they apply is immeasurable. You might think of some in yourself. Why would they call be called immeasurable, divine, loving, boundless mind? Maybe that motivation to... Um, to be of benefit is immeasurable. The virtues that we possess are immeasurable. Can't limit them. And the effects of, do, of practicing it, immeasurable. Once you open it, you see it just ta 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 just starts to connect. That little bit of joy that we let in, we start to see it. And it, it's immeasurable how, how it moves. where only kindness makes sense anymore. Yeah. You must speak it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. Then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore. So in practice, we are developing an understanding of our emotions, what are emotions, and seeing how crucial that, that understanding our emotions are for our development in these Brahma-Baharas, in these immeasurables, and keep cultivating what these more positive emotions. It's not like we substitute what's negative for positive, but we really see the root of it. May all beings be free from suffering and the root of suffering. So there's the um, the uh, loving kind the um, loving kindness. May all beings know happiness and the root of happiness, compassion. May all beings live in sympathetic joy, rejoicing in the happiness of others. May all beings live in equanimity, free from passion aggression, and delusion. Actively taking delight in others' happiness. Alan Wallace wrote, in the Tibetan Buddhist practice of rejoicing rejoicing in the good, it's perfectly appropriate to start with yourself. So to say these May I be free from suffering and drink that in and that root of suffering. May I know happiness. So it's perfectly fine. We need to start with ourselves. In fact, he says there's, there's no notion of achievement. You just do it. And it's immediately beneficial. Immediately beneficial. 
just to, just to take it in. You may not believe it. It's not your business. It is who you are. We just have to get it after, because the, the uh, patterns are so deep. So this is like changing our pathways in our mind. So we might not get it yet. May I know happiness? I remember I used to say that and go like, oh, not me. I was like, wow, really? To myself? Why? He says, rejoicing, especially when, or I like the word delighting. Rejoicing or delighting, especially when directed towards our own virtues, entails looking back on your own behavior, our aspirations and yearnings, then pausing and just delighting where we note that they are wholesome in nature. Maybe you've practiced meditation with a pure motivation and derived some benefit from it. Rather than just moving on, attend to your past practice. Recognize that you've done something good and take delight in it. I used to be in a women's group and we used to have to learn how to brag. Not self-centeredly, but we had to, we had to say something good about ourselves and then just go, I, I brag. You have to start like that. I brag and then say something. And then the person we were doing it with would say, well bragged. Because <laughs> we're always like, no, I didn't, not really. You know, it's false humbleness, you know. It's like, no, I brag. But that took a while. Um, so why do I focus on mudita, on sympathetic joy? Because, ho-hum, <laughs> I often feel threatened and diminished when I wish joy sometimes, not all the time, for others. Like the happiness of another, somebody really having it, will take something away from me. That mine will be diminished. Like there's not enough to go around. So bizarre, but it happens. Maybe to you too. It's interesting, I um, spell check. The corrector, autocorrect, turned mudita into nudist. <laughs> and I was like, okay, sympathetic joy, yeah. <laughs> I was like, Turns my name, Hojin, into hygiene. <laughs> so mudita became nudist. I thought that was cute. But I remember when I began to chant the four immeasurables and when I came to may all beings live in sympathetic joy, rejoicing in the happiness of others, I hope nobody saw me go like this. <laughs> like I actually shook my head. And then like I started darting around to see if I was noticed. Like I'd just been majorly called in. So I had a bit of a squirm, a little hiccup in my feeling of joy for others. Ever have this feeling? Yeah. Where your head starts shaking when you're saying an immeasurable? <laughs> uh-uh. Not that one. Or somewhere else in Buddhist teaching. So that's good news. We take that as practitioners when we see that. That's good news to see to, to inquire, compassionately inquire. What is that? 
it's challenging to feel these things and not brush them away, right? Someone was talking about mindfulness in the beginning of practice, like how much, because it felt, feels like you start looking and it's like, that's all you do then. It's a bit self-conscious for a while till it softens a bit. I found another description of mudita that resonated, which was even more deeply, which was appreciative joy. Appreciative joy. I live in appreciative joy, rejoicing in the happiness of others. Actually, there was no clear, as often happens, English translation of mudita, just like compassion, um, karuna. There's no clear English word for sympathetic joy. And when I was talking to someone, and I said, what do you think of like sympathetic joy? They said their first thought was like teddy bears and like balloons with helium balloons with like nice little verses on them. Like it sounds like bad English to say sympathetic joy or appreciative joy. Like, um, like, like joy is some kind of work we have to do for others. Sympathize, be sympathetic, be appreciative. I thought that was interesting. And when I asked around some folks about sympathetic joy in their life, I would hear kind of a variation on this. Well, I'm good, and I feel guilty saying that. I know there's so much awful things happening in the world. There's so much sorrow. There's so much pain. I feel guilty saying that. And their voice would sort of drop in volume and say, I don't know if I deserve to have joy, or you take joy in my joy. I might be a terrible person for enjoying my life in the midst of so much pain. Did you ever have that feeling? How can I be happy and joyful? Look at, look at what's happening. And I would say, no, 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 no. No, we need that now. We need, it's so necessary to have sympathetic joy. Because precisely because there's so much suffering so much sorrow. We need the, to make the effort to turn towards places of non-suffering, towards gladness, towards joy, delight, to, to, in order to restore and face our challenges at the same time. At the same time. Joy is restorative. It balances compassion. Compassion is translated as to suffer with. So joy balances that. The Buddha taught that when we experience joy, this was interesting, we actually have a responsibility to share it. We have a responsibility to share it. It's not for ourselves alone. And we have yet this other idea that when the world is in distress, we need to be grim in solidarity. We should be, you, it, you ever have that? Like, even when someone's dying, some people feel celebratory. And it's hard to, like, work with people who feel it as a grim, like we should all be in grim in solidarity. But how does more grimace help? 
this other teacher, Narian, I met her, Narian Helen Liebenson. I like her book. Um, she writes, um, joy can be harder to understand and access than compassion. I have noticed that many people, particularly in Western cultures, find it easier to experience compassion in the face of pain than joy in the midst of the lovely. It seems especially difficult to experience empathetic joy, joy for the good fortune of others. The reason may be that in the competitive culture we live in, comparing ourselves to others appears to be necessary, especially given the lack of a safety net for so many. What one person has, another person does not. It affects our Dharma understanding, causing the sense that there is a limited amount of joy to go around. We imagine that if someone else is joyful, we will not be. Is that true? If someone else is joyful, we will not be. It's actually not so, sitting from here. (laughs) Don't know mind is another word for joy, she says, and joy is another word for wonder. Wonder is a sensing of the sacred and is not dependent on conditions and circumstances. To wonder, to just wonder, not dependent on conditions and circumstances. Joy is a natural consequence of releasing and recognizing that conditions are largely out of our control. We practice reserving our judgments, willing to see in new ways. Don't know mind is a mind that is spacious rather than narrow and confined. In this spaciousness is a tangible sense of gentleness. She says, the willingness to inquire with a silent mind provides access to a life of wonder. Zazen (laughs) provides an access to a life of wonder. Just before the teacher, Joko Beck, died, she reportedly said, this too is wonder. (laughs) Marvelous. So to develop, this, to develop this kind of attitude, instead of looking at the suffering in the world, to actually look at happiness, to look at the happiness. Find delight, because it's always present. And it doesn't negate the other. It's there, too. We will have that to take in. It's there. So why do we re- resist feeling joy, happiness, or love, and turn to suffering? We don't do it intentionally, I don't think. Conditioning, mind habits, the culture habits, all seem to work to build up these walls between what we naturally feel and what we allow ourselves to feel. So when you're hurrying down the street and you notice something that draws you and you get sort of a little delight, like, huh, Look at that little dog. There's just little things all around that delight us. Stop. Let that fill your chest for a moment. Just stop for a moment. Let it fill your chest. Let it well up. You might find yourself like, no, 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 too much. Just notice. And then the moment passes and you're back, back into the attention of the street, walking, 
people going by, doing your errand, the day going by. On the art practice this week, um, before the smoke came, we're doing the sounds of the valley streams, color of the mountains, and yellow came up for me. I just wanted to explore yellow. What is yellow? And, um, and then the sky turned yellow. I was like, whoa, careful what you wish for. <laughs> but we focused on yellow with whatever practice you do, body. And, and I was talking to Seifu, and he, he spoke about um, the color of a sound. I said, tell me about this color of sound. He says, you know, the texture and you know, whatever. Yeah. And I was like, OK, so you can have like maybe a yellow sound. So what would that a yellow sound sound like? What kind of yellow? So we just worked with that as our art practice and to just bring the delight of yellow into and whatever that brought up. So when joy wells up, we leave room in our consciousness for it to come. It's a practice. It's a practice. I know people who very naturally express sympathetic joy. I have a Dharma brother. I mean, he'll give you, you say you like his shirt, it's yours. <laughs> you have to be careful. Just like the joy. Like, God's a beautiful shirt right off his own back. I'm like, how do you do that? It takes me years to give something away. It used to. It's like, I like it too much. And I just can't, like, oh. And it's not like you do that with everything, but, you know, just that ability was just so mal. So that feeling he had generated something in me to do that. So it's contagious. It's a good virus. It's the kind we want, right? So does someone else's happiness really take something from us? How do we react when we have that thought? But, as I said, not but, and, a profound sense of insufficiency is programmed into us at a very early age. And the Buddha recognized this, too, over 2,500 years ago. So this is not new to mankind, humankind, shall we say. Like, we don't have enough. Others always have more. Yeah. Others have more attention, more love more luck, like happiness is a limited commodity. I remember my mom pouring my brother and I juice, and I was like, you gave him more. I was whining. (laughs) And she heard that enough. And finally, she took out a measuring cup, and she poured the juice in it and went, boop, boop. Okay? So what was I whining about? Something else, like, you love him more. I'm not, I, I'm not getting enough of this, right? We, that's early. It's those little things, those little comparisons. I remember somebody on New Year's Eve, we encouraged people to sit longer in the night, uh, or it was during the week, and um, you know we have this big gong at the monastery. It's bigger. And she saw... She felt a person sitting, and she sat down, and she was getting really tired. And she was like, wow, that person's still sitting. That person, she was like, 
if they can do it, I can do it. And it was starting to become a comparison. And finally, she's like, i got to go to bed. And when she bowed, she thought, she'll just look and see who is it. And it was the gong. <laughs> she's losing her joy. Um, Ken McLeod writes, um, he says, and he um, wrote this book, where's Kenny? Where are you, Kenny? Uh, I'll find him. Oh, here he is. The meditation on joy brings into question everything that was trained into you by any system including your family, education, profession, and culture. You feel that your way of life, your values, your beliefs, and your sense of purpose in life are being threatened. They are. (laughs) The fierce resistance you encounter in seeing the values and beliefs as patterns and not absolutes indicates how thoroughly various systems have instilled their values and beliefs in us. Interesting. Recently, I was speaking to a friend who was celebrating their 20th year of sobriety. Yay. And we were talking about this emotion of jealousy, because we both have it pretty strong since we were very young. We can remember it. I remember it in nursery school. And she took out her big book, which is the um, text for Alcoholics Anonymous, and she read me this line. One way to let go of resentment is to pray that anything you want in life, in your own life, be given to the person who offended. One way to let go of resentment is to pray that anything you want in your own life be given to the person who offended. And she says, you don't have to mean a word of it. You just say it. You practice it. You practice this prayer, she said, every day for two weeks. So you just start small. You just start small where you can enter. That's sympathetic joy to me, which she read. And then I have this book. You might know it by um, Ross Ross Gay. Um, He's an African-American writer, poet. And he's a Buddhist practitioner, and he wrote this book called This Book of Delights, where he decided, because he was so focused on suffering, that he would most every day find a delight and write an essay on a delight. Can you imagine if he did that? Like every day, find a delight and play a song, write a poem, do an image. Just the exploring the simplicity of loving and joy and delight. He delighted in buttonholes on his shirt, wrote an essay on it, spotting a praying mantis on a pint of beer someone left behind at a cafe, high-fiving with strangers, writing by hand, pulling carrots, and as Naomi says, tying shoes, gazing at bread, these little delights. He says, it turns out the world is to be awash in the lights. He writes, the Oxford Dictionary found that the word delight from Latin, 
delectare, if I'm saying that right, derived from delectare, I don't know, is, means to lure away or entice away. That's delight, to lure away, to entice away. That wasn't the definition I expected for delight. Yet the longer I sit with it, can you see it? That is sympathetic joy. Kind of like a practice of being lured away from your ego. Lured away, lured away from just in being embedded in sorrow. That's a delight. It makes sense. He writes, Are we strangers to delight? Are we more familiar with being hard on ourselves? We have to start a sympathetic joy practice by calling to mind our own delights, at the same time contemplating the delights of others. He says, among the most beautiful things I've ever heard anyone say came from one of my students speaking about her aspirations to be a teacher and what she wanted her classroom to be. What if we joined our wildernesses together? That life might carry a wilderness, an unexplored territory, that yours and mine might somewhere, somehow, meet, might even join. And what if the wilderness, the densest wild in there, thickets, Brambles, bogs, swamps, uncrossable ravines, and rivers is our sorrow. Is our sorrow. Or as another term he says is our intolerable. That everything, I mean everything he says, lives with some profound sorrow. Someone has cancer come back. Someone's pet died, rejected by family, brother still addicted, still not okay. They lost a child. Everyone, regardless of everything, the existential sorrow, acing impermanence at every turn. Things we love, we will lose. He then asks, is sorrow the true wild, the great wilderness? If it is, and we join them, your wild to mine, what's that? What's that? For joining too is a kind of annihilation. What if we joined our sorrows? I'm saying. I'm saying, what if that is joy? Thank you. May you find some delight. Thank you for listening. To find out more about the Zen Center of New York City's programs, retreats, and residency, please visit our website at zmm.org slash zcnyc.